The Money Podcast with your hosts, Justin Harrison and David Bester. Money, 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 money. Let's talk about money. It is my absolute pleasure and privilege to welcome an icon of business to the podcast, a man from humble beginnings who has with dignity and pride built an empire and in the process created jobs, inspired a province and a country. Vivian Reddy, welcome to the Money Podcast. It's absolute pleasure to be on Money Podcast, and I'm actually humbled to be here. You know, my colleagues talk so warmly about your project and what you do, and I think the authenticity, the authenticity, like you see I'm bad in the pronounce, I was bad at English in school. <laughs> and, Same as me. And, and, and absolutely, and, and I think what's more important that people like the honesty of the show, and, and I'm glad to be here to tell you the honest story of my life. Thank you, Vivian, I really appreciate it. So, you know, you've had a colorful life, you've, yeah. you've had a very, very humble start in life, and so I've got some thought-provoking questions, and I've been putting this across to business leaders across the board over the last uh, couple of months and my first question to you is if you had to sum up your career looking back now over the many many years what has been your single biggest and most important business lesson the single biggest lesson of my life when I became the first person in South Africa to meet astronaut Neil Armstrong 69 he was on the moon and in 71 during the World Scouts Boys Jamboree when I represented South Africa I met him and the lessons that he taught me that have changed my life forever and if I could go back you know I'm the youngest of nine children we lived in a very humble place nine children a three-bedroom home in Greenwood Park and my school my dad was a school teacher and in 30 ran a month Crazy. Uh, I, I sometimes think how did he do it yeah. and when I look back today and look at people in poverty and living mm. in three bedroom 12 13 people I've been there yep. I know what it is I took buses to school I walked to school I know what it is to have a 1,000 rand check go RD I know what it is to have uh, the summons sheriff knocking on my door yep. so I've been through it all but I've learned lessons in life and I want to go back to the early stages and, and talk about values. It's so important sometimes. We're a very humble family. Mm. But my dad taught us about values of integrity, of mm. honesty, mm. and most importantly about serving the community, even if you didn't have money, about mm. time. And that's why philanthropy is a very big part of my life. Mm. And one of the early stages of my life was when I joined the Boy Scouts. Mm. And that was an absolutely amazing decision of mine. I've been with them for a long time. And then at age 16, I was selected to join the Boy Scouts World Jamboree to represent South Africa. And I went there, the African region selected me to represent Africa at the World Youth Forum that was being launched in Japan. And to my surprise, when I went out there, and by the way, I just got to step back. When I was selected, it was 1,700 rand, but my parents couldn't afford to send me. It was the people of Greenwood Park that held jumble sales, cake sales, and it took them four months to raise the 1,700 rands. And when I went on that trip to overseas, is my first time ever traveling a plane and I only had 100 rand spending money for an entire international trip but I lived on it and, and survived but the community of Greenwood Park where I came a humble community amazing people great community spirit and I think I owe my success in life because of the opportunities that they gave me and when I got to Japan and got selected to represent the African at the African Youth Forum 
And to my surprise, there was a guest of honor was astronaut Neil Armstrong. And 69, he's been to the moon, and I met him in 71. I, I didn't know what to do. When my chance came to talk to him, and I shook his hand, I didn't like hands, and I looked at him, and I said, Sir, can you tell me the secret of your success? That was the only thing that came out of my mouth. And he told me how, as a young boy, you know, he was growing up in the suburban area and he used to tell his parents he is going to go to the moon one day and it was not even an astronaut program mm -hmm. but he they gave him a telescope he used to look at the telescope look at the moon and he decided that he was going to go to the moon and everyone laughed at him there was not even an astronaut program but he actually went to the you know, school high school and while he was in primary school in fact the astronaut program opened he he created a career to become an astronaut and he went out there to become an astronaut. He passed the academics, but he had some physical problems where the physical about breathing number mm -hmm. of times, he struggled with that. He had to go back and I think he did yoga and got his breathing right and he came back and he became an astronaut. And his parting words to me, he said, young man, perseverance prevails when everything else fails. Beautiful. He said, always if you can dream it, you can achieve it and never, ever give up in life. And that's what made me who I am today. I would have been a failure. Yep. And I'll tell you why. And, and, and that's so relevant today. When I started my first job, I mean, my only qualification in life is an electrician, you know. And I always tell people, you know, when the people give me this glorious introductions about casino boss, and I said, mm -hmm. I'm a simple electrician that didn't cross my wires. <laughs> and, you know, so with no short circuits, I'm here to tell the story. And, you know, I was a very good electrician, excellent electrician. One Christmas party, I took all our... Black staff from uh, Peter Marisberg and went down to Durban to have a Christmas party with all of my white colleagues. I was the only person of color in management. And after a good few drinks, and I used to drink a lot when I was little, way younger, and um, I went to the black staff and I noticed they were having tuba and inferior meat. I took them all to where my white colleagues were. I introduced them and I gave them the whiskey and the lamb chops. And within five minutes, all my white colleagues had disappeared. And I realized this was the end. And I encouraged my black colleague, look, enjoy yourself. Monday morning, I was called into the office and fired. Wow. And I was very cross. And I told the person at that time, the head of that company, mm. it was an international company of divested and South Africans that bought it. And mm -hmm. I told them, one day apartheid will be gone and I will have a company bigger than yours. <laughs> and the reality, I had no two cents. I didn't have a vehicle. The only vehicle I had was this company vehicle. And that's the year I even got married. And couldn't even afford a decent honeymoon or a proper ring. Still living with your folks at the time, if I'm not mistaken. Living with my folks, yeah. you know, in part of a home with a collective family. And, yeah. um, and family life is very important. But in that case, when I went mm -hmm. back and talk about being fired, my dad wasn't too sympathetic. He says, you yeah. see, you've been too political and now you've got mm -hmm. no job. But I was happy. I didn't bother because I knew I was so good. I thought mm -hmm. I would walk into any electrical company. But the reality is that Durban is a small place. The message yeah. had spread yeah. that this man is a trouble causer, you know. And I couldn't get a job. I was mm -hmm. forced to go into my own business. Mm -hmm. And I went out and I took on a job right across the harbor. It was a hotel and a restaurant. And being very inexperienced in business, started a job, worked night and day for 56,000 rands. And when we talk about 40 years ago, 56,000 rand was a lot, a lot of, of money. money. You could buy a Mercedes Benz for 15,000 rand. A rands. lot of money. And I've worked night and day. We finished the job after about three weeks. 
And I went to the um, developer, the owner of the institute, uh, up to a building in, in Durban, Victoria Street. Uh, and by the way, to even do that job, I didn't have any money to start a business. I borrowed 500 rand from my brother and, and a broken down bucky from Dundee, from my sister. And that bucky, every morning I had to park it on a slope to start. Even in everywhere I went, I made sure I took someone to push it to start. You know, but it was just so great those days, carefree days. Yeah. And but I was so excited. This was going to be the changing time of a moment. I was excited. The night before I didn't sleep, I was saying 56,000 rands was a great amount of money. And I went out there and there was a door, a notice on the company door saying company in liquidation, contact our attorneys. I sank. I didn't fully understand the word and meaning of liquidation at that stage. And I called the lawyer friend of mine. I said, look, uh, you know what? This is it. You know, I actually use a phone booth in the same building. You know, those days were no cell phones. And he says, you know, it means you're not going to get paid. And I said, but can't we do? He says, for all I care, the company will have nothing. And I walked downstairs to my wife, and by then I said, we're going to go for a honeymoon, we're going to buy a brand new vehicle, we're going to buy a decent ring, and I'd go there very depressed and gave her the message. And that evening when I lay down in bed, absolutely depression. And depression and disappointment is, is, is absolutely devastating. Mm. You sit there and you think about the negative things. Mm -hmm. And I've learned in life today, you got to be positive. You've got to consistently, because I was thinking about the worst case scenario, and it was that when the words of astronaut Neil Armstrong came back to me. Mm. He said, if you can dream it, you can achieve mm. it. Perseverance prevails when all else fails and never, ever give up. It mm. inspired me. Mm. The next morning, I went to everyone that owed money, and there was no sympathy, but I managed to get an agreement with no credit. We got it, they said, you know, and, and I started working day and night. I still used to work 18 hours days with the few staff I took from the previous company. And within nine months, I paid all the debts. But the lesson that I learned there, that you've got to be honest with people. Every yes. single person I owed money, I went and told them the truth. Yep. This is the letter. I got no money. Yep. And then some of them said, like the bank, we'll sell your assets. I said, I got nothing. You know, I, I had got nothing at all. Mm -hmm. I loved my parents. So I know what it is. Even at that time, you know, it was tough times. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I write a check for 1,000 rand. You should go back R&D. Mm -hmm. And during that time, the people um, that were unsympathetic, they would send you summons. And then suddenly, mm -hmm. oh, you owe them 2,000 rands. And then I look at it. And then I got the summons. And you go and plead with the lawyers at that day. Look, I'm good for it. But what happened was being honest with your problems actually gains sympathy. Mm -hmm. People like to hear. So no matter what problems you have in life, and no matter how much money you owe, mm -hmm. if you tell people the real reason, I think you'll become sympathetic. And that's how we still run our business today. So, you know, I started working day and night. We paid off the debts. And mm -hmm. then I decided now, after I paid the debts, it was a big focus. I'm going to go into bigger jobs. Mm. We were tendering for work, mm. but we were not getting work because I traded as Redis Electrical. <laughs> and then I figured out, no, no, it's got to do with his name. Then I thought of naming, renamed the company after Thomas Edison, the founder of the light bulb. And I, Edison Power, I put out, changed my letterheads. In those days, you had to rubber stamp, you know, your yep. stamp on it. And 
suddenly I put in bids and my phone was ringing. Can we speak to Mr. Edison? Wow. And I used to tell them, Mr. Edison is not in. Can I help you? <laughs> <laughs> you know? The irony of the whole thing. In those apartheid days, I masqueraded as a white Mr. Edison. And today, in these days, you phone Mr. Ngobo's electrical. Mr. Fundamental is answering <laughs> and saying, Ngobo is not here. <laughs> You know, so these are the kind of things I went to. But what was amazing, people accepted me as being manager of the company. I went, yeah. oh, that's good. You know, Mr. Edison would like to meet him. And I mm. pretended that, you know, this is, I'm the manager. I did everything. And Mr. Edison is too busy. And, you know, mm. but what had happened when it was discovered, it was no Mr. Edison behind this job. And we owned it. It was too late. We had the job. Then we were persecuted. Mm. People tried to bankrupt us. They would criticize the job. They would find fault. I mean, it was mm. traumatic what they did. Mm. I trained my staff very well. And I used to quote the words of Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King said that even if you are a street sweeper, Mm-hmm. You must sweep the street in a way Beethoven played music or Michelangelo painted, mm-hmm. that everyone going past must say you are the best street sweeper in the world. Yep. It simply means you've got to be the best at what you're doing. And that's what we got to strive on today. No yes. matter who we are, whether yes. you are working, whether you're business, no matter what you do, if you do your best, people recognize it. And my staff, and that's what we did. We did such a great job with everything we did. Eventually, people follow, forgot about the color of our skin. Yep. They actually used to ask the white companies, go and see this job that Edison that they have so I'm sure they stayed a coolie company or whatever and they were very angry we were doing work for public works yeah. we had lots of appeals but I learned I learned that if you do the perfect job and cannot be faulted mm-hmm. and that's it people had to accept you mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. we, we, we really worked and the company built and then suddenly came the 1990s you know South Africa because Mandela was released yep. and the apartheid government at that time wanted to please people in the township they started mm-hmm. electrifying schools mm-hmm. but everyone was too frightened to go into the townships but mm-hmm. we went into the townships mm-hmm. we did work we put something back and the business just grew and grew from there mm-hmm. and you know it was absolutely amazing uh, what had happened and we built the staff and up to today you know we always believe in perfection and quality of workmanship mm. which is very very important mm. and the electrical business gave me a basis of getting involved in other business but mm. even when I was involved in the electrical business I always never forgotten where I'd come from yes that is what is very important and you know I believe as human beings, it is so important for us to practice random acts of kindness. You know, today you have people from the call center who are doing a real genuine job. That's the livelihood. They call you around five, six o'clock. What happens to most of us? We get very cross. We we shout at them. We don't stop to think that's a human being trying to earn a living. What's so nice if you said, sorry. I'm not interested in the product. I'm busy. I hope you have a better luck on your next call and mm. have a good evening. God mm. bless you. Just the kind words uplift people. They're mm. all human beings right now in this world and especially today in South Africa. There's mm. so much of anger and, you know, unhappiness mm. that people just are, are eager. People so easily get off a car and attack each other. Mm. You know, there's so much of intolerance. And, you know, now is a time where we need Mahatma Gandhi back here to talk about tolerance and, and, you know, and that's what we need. We as a society, I don't know what has happened to South Africans. We're angry. I'll tell you what was absolutely amazing. Yesterday I had, I hosted um, people from another country. They came, they, they flew from Cape Town to Johannesburg and Johannesburg to Durban. And they actually joined the discussion at a meal. And he told me, you know what I noticed? That everyone on the plane seemed to be so somber. 
I couldn't see happiness. They mm. told me, I've been to South Africa, it's the first time. Mm. And, and, and we've got to talk about that later. What do we do? How do we uplift yep. ourselves yep. in South Africa? But let me go back to this business. Uh, so what had happened, you know, I was able to start with 500 rand a bucky, build this massive electrical company. It didn't come easy. It came with hard work, integrity, and service excellence. That was yep. very important. You know, we, and I also controlled my money. Yes. And, you know, one of the things people must realize, if you can't control your emotions, you can't control your money. So People true. become so emotional true. today. You know, as soon as you get money and then you yes. say, oh, my neighbor's got a S-class Mercedes, let me go and get a better one. Yes. And now that's why emotions, you know, we, we yes. see good things. We forget that the money we have got to use our business. We got to invest in our business. That's what and it's I a do. resource, right? It's Absolutely. a resource that needs to be managed. It's a resource you need to take care of. Mm. This is something we talk a lot about because, yeah. you know, especially especially yeah. entrepreneurs who get access to a lot of yeah. money very quickly often what they do is they squander that resource and that opportunity and we see this right now in South Africa it's something we're talking about a lot there's a group of people in South Africa who've got access for the first time in a lifetime yeah. and they're squandering that opportunity because they're out there buying the things that they think are going to generate wealth a fancy car doesn't generate wealth a fancy house doesn't generate wealth you've got to use those vehicles yeah to generate wealth. You know, people look at Vivian Reddy today mm -hmm. and they see the nice cars and they yeah. see the nice house, but they don't understand that is a result of decades of hard work. Absolutely. You are so correct. Uh, you are absolutely correct. It reminds me about a story with uh, the famous uh, artist, uh, Picasso. You know, he was at a restaurant and a lady came to him and gave him a little piece of paper and said, Mr. Picasso, can you draw me something? And he drew her something and he said, that'll be $5,000. And she was horrified. She said, but you only took seconds. He says, no ways. It took me 40 years to come to that one second. And Beautiful. that's what my life's all about. Yep. It takes time. It takes experience. Yep. Yep. And learning from your experience. And people sometimes, yep. it's amazing about South Africa. Now, lots of people around the world, yep. they never learn from their mistakes. Yep. They keep repeating the mistakes. <laughs> and I think one of the problems with human beings, we grew up making mistakes. Yep. We grew up with bad habits. Yep. And we suddenly live them thinking it's normal. Mm -hmm. And even bad habits is amazing. You know, when I look at habits and the bad habits, whether it be smoking, drinking, mm -hmm. stealing, whatever it is, mm -hmm. it's very difficult to break it. Even that word, H-A-B-I-T, you know, you, you, you take away the H, you still have A-B-I-T. You take away the A, you still have the B. <laughs> and you take away the B, you still have it. You can't break down the word. So that's why people must inculcate good habits. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. it's so mm -hmm. easy. Mm -hmm. Try to stop smoking. You know, yep. uh, it's tough. You yep. know, putting on weight is another thing. So the whole idea, we must try to, wherever possible, create good habits. Mm -hmm. So I want to get back to the whole business thing. You know, along the way, I've never always did good deeds because, you know, along the way, I joined the JC organization, which was an amazing organization. I introduced the ramps in the street of Durban. I don't know, Margaret Maitam was a mayor at that time. Oh. I introduced brails in lifts. We had protests. We actually oh. marched on the streets of Durban saying the disabled are able. It's because I cared for people that are less fortunate because I've been poor. I know where mm. I grew up. So at the end of the day, you know, people sometimes say, you know, 
you're just an electrician. You know, <laughs> how did you do it? Yeah. And the reality, as a human being, we tend to put blinkers. Yes. We, if we open our minds, can do anything. Yep. I mean, from being an electrician, I used to go to the Wild Coast Casino. I loved gambling. I used to even go to the illegal casinos <laughs> because I was like, not an habitual gambler, but yes. I loved gambling. Yes. It gave me joy. And I'll tell you later why people love to go to casinos. There's a secret. Yep. And I ended up developing five casinos in South Africa, not knowing about the casino business. Business, but mm-hmm. I lent it. Mm-hmm. In fact, quite ironically, during my early casino experience, when I was bidding for casinos, putting Sabaya together, Newcastle, actually went to the United States looking for a casino partner, and that's when I met Donald Trump. Okay. Uh, in his Atlantic City casino, yeah. he was arrogant uh, at that time as he is now. <laughs> he hasn't changed. changed. You wouldn't <laughs> want to do business with him. We've, we've done some amazing business. Yeah. But the reality, you know, I, I looked at casino business, I realized you employ management companies to do it, and it can be done. I also, we managed the South African post office from what, 1996 to about 2000. We went into international bid. One day I was at uh, one of the hotels in Johannesburg at the bar and there was a person sitting in a corner looking lonely and I like to talk to people. And I went there, I introduced myself and I said, you're alone, let's have a chat. And we shook hands and he was a guy from New Zealand, Alan Hunt, he's still my great friend. He was in the business of transforming post office. I was fascinated. He told me, and I said, do you know our post office loses money? He said, yes, that's what I'm here. And we introduced him and it went into international bid and we won the bid. In the five years, we were there at the South African Post Office. We turned it into a profit. We t- delivered 1.2 million boxes and we transformed it into a corporate business. Mm. And it's amazing. We left that business with massive profitability and it went down. It just shows all about people and management. Yep. Yep. We, you know, we, we did so many other businesses uh, uh, along the way. I will tell you something about the World AIDS Conference that we held in Durban. Mm. I said, we've got the international, the whole world is here for the World AIDS Conference. What are we mm. going to do? And they mm. said, we're not in this business. I said, well, let's get into the business. And my staff, they found a company called Autoshow Technology somewhere in Portland, Oregon, mm. and where you put the um, applicator into your gum and it told you whether you're HIV positive 10 minutes later. Mm. I flew there and against all odds, against all the biggest bidders, I convinced them why they should give us the franchise as a distributorship for Africa. Mm. And we got it. We launched it in the world. It's a very successful business which we sold. When I tell you, I mean, I started YFM Radio, by the way. I was one of the wow. founders of YFM Radio. I did not know that. And, and let me tell you how it is quite a humorous story. I had no idea of getting into radio, but I have some friends of mine that were involved in a struggle, and they told me, listen, on a certain day, you must come to that time. The Carlton Hotel was still open, yep. you know, about 95, 96. There is some meeting we're having, and I go there, and when these friends, I go there, I know we're going to have a good drink and a good <laughs> chat. And then I go there, there's Ikasa hearing, and I'm sitting in the back row. Yeah. And they were going on about this radio station and, you know, and I was interested in addressing the youth. And then suddenly during question times, the commissioner said, and he said, by the way, you'll have put up this thing. How are you going to, where is your funding? And Jeremy said, hey, Mr. Reddy is here. He's going to fund us. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I got involved in YFM Radio. Lord. It was a great experience. We sold our shares. It was a great empowerment wow. deal. But, you know. All these businesses mm. and along the way, you know, I consistently, you know, the power business. Then I got involved in the property business. Mm. You know, we built the Newcastle Mall. Mm. Quadri- we, we built, or oh, I knew nothing about the property business. Mm. But everything that I do, I learn. And that's what we've got to do. And people ask yeah. me, 
what is the secret in life? What do you do? How do you keep getting on to new business? I mean, I'm going to be opening this Oceans Mall and yep. well, Radisson Hotel. Radisson. And I'll tell you about the visit of a senior Gucci executive and why he believes South Africa is a better place than some other place in the world. But my secret, or well, not a secret, it's a philosophy I have in life. Mm. It's called Kenai, C-A-N-E-I. I hope you all listeners uh, are listening. It's C-A-N-E-I. It means constant and never-ending improvement. improvement. Okay. Now, constant, never-ending improvement means simply that today must be better than yesterday. Tomorrow must be better today. It means that you've got to consistently and never improve your life. Yep. When you lay down in bed and you think about the day, think about what you could have done better. Yep. Start focusing on that, focusing on your mistakes, and you consistently focus on what you could do better. Yep. And, and when you do that, and you do not become satisfied. You do not become satisfied with average. Mm. You actually got to become satisfied with excellence. Yes. You know, and even when you're excellent, you got to be there. You must sit in bed and say, why can I not be the Elon Musk of the world? Yes. You know, why can I not be like the founder of Apple. And, and yep. you know, when you look at uh, Steve Jobs, mm. and what I admire about Steve Jobs, he was a person that, and why Apple, he was a perfectionist. Yes. And I remember this interesting story when they were doing the, uh, the iPod. And when the iPod, the designers brought it into his office and he looked at it, the first thing that he threw it into his fish tank, they were horrified. And they said, Mr. Jobs, why did you do it? And he says, look at that. There are bubbles coming up. It means there's space inside. Go back and repair it. Fantastic. Now, that's what he did. It's the same thing he did with the Macintosh computer. Yep. He said, yep. when they brought him, he says, open the computer. And he saw all the wires untidy. Yep. He says, I want this thing to be transparent that everyone buys it must see what a beautiful job it's done inside. And yet, that's what makes a difference. It is something where you strive for excellence. Extraordinary. The excellence. There's a beautiful story about uh, Steve Jobs and mm -hmm. his father, or his stepfather, mm -hmm. and his adopted father said to him, they were painting a fence, a picket fence, and his adopted father said to him, you must paint the other side of the fence, the inside of the fence. And he said, but dad, nobody sees that side of the fence. And his dad said, it's even more important to paint the side of the fence that nobody sees, because that's the part where the integrity is. Absolutely. And that was the basis for every design principle within Apple. And I think that's a lesson that we as South Africans need to take more to heart because we need to learn how to strive for excellence. I still feel as a country doing a lot of things on the surface. We need to go deeper. We Absolutely. need to know our purpose. We need to find our place yeah. in the world. And we need to aggressively assert South Africa as a dominant player on the global stage. Absolutely. I Totally agree. And those, you know, it is just such an important message you are giving to the listeners. And it's just so critical. And as South Africans, there is, we have, even I, I want to go back to the current state, you know, and especially in KwaZulu-Natal, we've had everything, the pandemic, oh. floods, the rights. And it's fine. People will be unhappy. Mm -hmm. But... It's like the security come, uh, problem in this country. Yes. We can talk about it every day. Get yep. depressed. Yep. The idea is don't expose yourself. Go on. Lead your life the normally. Because the more you talk about negative things, you get depressed. Yes. And this is what is happening at the moment. Like the message from this overseas visitor I had. He mm. said South Africans were looking depressed because we are mm. worried mm. Mm. about mm. what's happening. The problem is that... Worry doesn't sort of everything. You've got to find yep. solutions. You've got to go up there. I mean, people ask me. I was asked the question, 
You've had COVID, we've had the writing year, and yet you're busy continuing with this 4.5 billion rand project. Yep. You open a five-star hotel just after the flood, I mean, the looting and writing. Aren't you scared? <laughs> and, you know, I believe in life. Whatever happens, happens. happens There's a destiny. Yeah. We cannot worry about the future. If we overthink, you'll mm. become a miserable life. And that's mm. what happens with too many South Africans. As a society, we overthink situation. We think about the worst in everything. We've got to start thinking differently we got to start seeing the good. So, things. Vivian, I want to bring you yeah. back a little bit. I want to put yeah. you on the spot a little sure. bit because I want to understand your thinking a little yeah. bit closer to your heart. If we go back in your journey a little bit, because, yeah. you know, most business people talk very passionately about yeah. their business. They talk about the things they've built. Mm -hmm. And it's almost an existential version of themselves. I want to yeah. come back to Vivian. Yeah. What has driven you to desire wealth? Has there been this desire for wealth or was that never really a focus in your life? No, wealth was never a focus in my life. It is quite interesting. What was focus in my life? I love people. I always said I've got to employ thousands of people and create jobs. And because mm. I believe my role in life is to make people happy. And mm. how do you do it? You create jobs. You give people an opportunity to earn a living. They go back to their families. When a person buys a new coat, an outfit, it makes them happy. They buy a car. So I am giving people an opportunity to become happy. And that's what drives me. Mm. And what also drives me, of course, you know, I love making profits because I use 50% of my profits to uplift the lives of poor. Yeah. I mean, it's well known, you know, as a medium-sized company in this province, we've given 250 million rand to charities. Yeah. Every week we're opening some good causes, yeah. whether it be right here in the community of Blackburn. Yeah. I mean, that community, we just built a schools training center. We, we built a fee feeding scheme yeah. uh, out there. You know, but we continuously do that because I believe a rich man is poor if you do not share your wealth with the less fortunate. You yes. cannot, as yes. South Africans, we as businessmen, be living on an island of wealth surrounded by a sea of poverty. We are it will be absolutely immoral. So we must reach, yeah. and that's what drives mm. me in life. Mm. I work hard. I, I create at Oceans. We created 26,000 jobs in the construction. 4,300 families will be employed there. We're creating jobs. And yep. creating jobs that drives me to success, drives me to want to achieve more because I know the more businesses I build, the more buildings I put up, the more jobs and I create. And that's how I like to create happiness. The amazing thing is the more titans of industry mm. I interview, the more this answer comes across, the exact mm. answer you've given. And people think that business people are these absolute greedy, grabby mm. people who just want wealth. And the amazing thing about wealth is, I take my life-saving mm. days, the first thing we learned in life-saving is you cannot save somebody unless you breathe yourself. And this is the same thing in business. You have to make money and you have to make profit to be able to help everybody else. And I think there's this thing that sometimes society, especially here in South Africa, misses, especially because of our painful yeah. past. There is a thing called socially responsible capitalism. And I think South Africa is uniquely placed in the world to un understand the sensitivity of it. Because capitalism left unabated, if we look at the U.S., has very dire consequences. Yeah. But if we can be responsible to our communities, if we can res be responsible to our country, if we can do our part, we can uplift the situation. And it's up to business leaders in this country to lead the cause because we can't rely on government alone. We as captains of industry have to lead from the front.
Then I currently agree with you. And you know what's unique? South Africa are absolutely amazing people. If you look at how we reached out, look at during the floods, after mm-hmm. the violence uprooting, even the people that looted the, the shops and things were still given food parcel. Yeah. And, you know, this is what a community, we're actually a great community. I yeah. want people to think back. Look at the 2010 World yeah. Cup. It's not too far. I mean, we yeah. were the happiest nation in the world. Yeah. We were the 1995 rugby. 1995. I mean, yeah. we, what has happened to South Africa? I mean, we were happy we were all excited i mean you know what we've allowed and this is wrong mm-hmm. we are allowing the events of what happens out there and sort of to control our lives now yes. remember when we are happy out there every day we take our unhappiness back home and True. that destroys family True. we've got to think about our family in my life my family is number one yep. and if we can focus on our families making our families happy in fact in my house we ban all negative talk we do not talk about the negative things we've made we said guys there's more positive if let's talk about the good things that are happening you know unfortunately you open every newspaper you put on the tv i avoid and one of the things i gotta tell you listen if you want to have a personal sleep a good sleep a peaceful sleep at night don't watch the news go and watch a nice happy movie go and watch <laughs> comedy central one that's what i do yep. 122 because what happens yep. you listen to the negativity of what's happening yep. the walls yep. you go into bed with a negative thought yep. and even in the mornings it's so easy and i'll tell you what i do in the mornings and one of my good friends and robert Sharma, my personal friend i visit him in canada when he comes to south africa he sees me and he always tells me you know i mean he is a great wellness guru he, you know he goes he says it is absolutely amazing how your breathing controls your mind and your heart. And that is why when I get up in the morning, the first thing I do, I go up in the mirror and actually start punching myself in the head and saying how good I am. I actually start talking about I'm going to be having a great day because you've got to control your mind. Yep. If you don't control your mind, your mind will control you with all the negative things. I actually psych myself every day. People don't realize. They see me out there. They don't realize. I, I have down moments when, you yes. know, there are a lot of things going wrong. I mean, I'm under pressure consistently. Mm. Mm. Things are going wrong. I mean, I've got to open a mall. In 10 days, the roads are not ready. And we don't know. <laughs> and I've got international brands. So those are all, I have yeah. a lot of stress. And I'm going to control my stress of breathing. And quite often, and mm. people must practice at home, try it. If you're in any stressful situation, just take about 10 breaths deep. And one, two, three, four, and release it again. And it actually eases you because if your mind gets calm, you can control the situation. Otherwise, we, when we become overwhelmed, that's what leads into depression. It changes our mood. Mm. We snap out. And remember, and when you utter those angry words, you cannot recall it. Mm-hmm. You can never recall it. And people so will true. always remember. And this is why you've got to control your mind. And, you know, I want to come back to this, uh, the story I told you earlier on. We've got this world-class mall we're building, and we've got all these massive international brands. And a very senior executive of Gucci uh, visited the province. And it was just yeah. around the uh, time of the looting. looting and yeah. in this factory was still, UPL was still smoldering. Mm. And he lands into this country, and everyone's in a bad mood, and I... Take them to this nice pencil club because very international. I'm a member there, <laughs> and when you look out, you look at this great place. And um, he asked me. We talked about it. Mm. I thought it was very important that I address it with him before him because it's a question about being honest. Yes, because it, I it said he is a major investor coming to spend oh, tens of millions in a store. Mm. That's going to bring international tourists. Mm. Let me tell him the facts. Mm. Mm. And I started off. And he told me, yes, we, we saw it on TV. 
And that mm. act of honesty, I didn't camouflage. And that's what we've got to realize in life. Don't try to camouflage and tell yeah. people as it is and explain. And when we were talking to him, he told me, he says, we have stores around the world. In Paris burnt. Los Angeles went up in fire. London has the rights. And he told me, you're like going through a phase that other countries also go through. Mm. And he, we also discussed, this is what unhappiness does. That's what poverty does. Mm. But mm. at the end of the day, I told him that we as South Africans are resilient. We picked ourselves mm. up. We rebuilt the malls. And, and he was very happy. And you know what he said? I admire you, South Africans. You are resilient. You have risen, you have risen above the negativity. And he is going to be investing there because he believes in South Africans and being positive people. He believes that South Africans will continue to be working hard, earn more, and spend in his stores. And by the way, their stores in Johannesburg is amongst the top 10 most successful stores in the That's world. Incredible. You know, I've been to 77 countries, and it's, yeah. a, it's a story I often relate to people. Yeah. There are very few countries yeah. in the world like South Africa, and there are very few people in the world like South Africans. We yeah. are extremely resilient. We may have come from a very painful past, but there is a love amongst people in this country. When it really counts, people get together. Absolutely. And I think the time is now more than ever that people need to get together. But I also think, and it's something you said earlier, which I think is terribly important. I really hope listeners get this point. We have to take responsibility in our own homes. The head of the home needs to sit down at the head of the table and needs to take financial responsibility, needs to teach values and morals. It's all very well criticizing a government and criticizing the police and criticizing everybody outside, but you can't criticize when your own home is not in order. We have to get our homes in order. Absolutely. You are totally right. And people must also look at it, you know, especially with wealthy people in South Africa, lots of them are guilty of spoiling their children. Even mm. when my kids were going mm. to high school, I should get them 100 rand a month uh, spending money. I also wow. right now tell my kids when they come and go into business, I teach them how to go to the banks, how to borrow money, how to build financial credibility. It's very important mm. we mm. teach our kids, especially children of families, well-off families, that they yes. don't hand out. Things. They must, kids must work. And that's exactly what a person like... Uh, Bill Gates does and, yes. you know, other Warren Buffett. Yes. I mean, they give, they make sure that children, if we start getting kids, spoon feeding them, giving them money, unlimited amount of money and getting them to go and fail in businesses, they will never succeed. You're actually disabling them. Absolutely. You're actually disabling them. That, and it's a problem with a lot of people who've come from poverty. And I yeah. know this because I've come from that place. Yeah. And you want to do better for your children. Yeah. You want to give them the things that you didn't have. Yeah. And often... You feel that those things are material, but sometimes the greatest gifts you can give are not material. Sometimes the greatest gifts is the lessons you've learned, the advice you can give, the knowledge you can impart. And I talk about generational wealth. I believe generational wealth is the knowledge you hand over because money alone doesn't fix a problem. Money alone often enables a problem. You need yeah. to give the knowledge with the money. The money alone doesn't solve the problem. Absolutely correct. And, you know, we talk about generation wealth. One of the big things in South Africa, we have family businesses. Yeah. We have amazing, successful family businesses. And when you look at some of the family businesses, some of them have been very successful, but mm. some have not. Mm. Because what happens in our society, and especially with the Indian society, the community, yeah. I've seen it. Where the hierarchy of the family, whether they're right or wrong, is yeah. always right. Bad decisions are made. Yep. And with the result, we've seen some very powerful, big South African family names collapse. 
Yes. It is because they've refused yes. to change, because the generations, you know, people felt that, uh, you know, they didn't go out there and, and, and move with the time just because what the uh, patriarch or matriarchal mm. family said was correct and they didn't change with the times. And I've mm. seen it in my own electric, but I've seen companies that started their businesses well before me fail mm. because they changed to move with the times. And that is what we've got to do. Mm. It's the whole thing about adapt or die. Yes, exactly. You've got to change. You've got exactly. to change. Technology is changing. But most importantly, as much as the whole world is changing, you as a human being must never change inwardly. Yes. You've got to always have that power of love, the power of prayer. I'm going to tell you the story about this power of prayer. It's an amazing thing that happened to me you know I'm a person that supports I'm Hindu but I support mosque I I contribute to churches uh, synagogues you know I contributed and one of the places we contributed to in Montechgom we uh, donated a piece of land to a church so I always get invited to this church and when they had and one day the pastor very well like pastor he invited me he said you've got to come there is uh, some big pastor that's um, coming out here to to and and anyway I I went up to that church and I went there there were thousands of people this church had normal capacity about five thousand there were cars outside big screevy saying and it was Pastor Benny Hines now I never met him I'm not a Christian I don't follow I didn't know who it but I went there because he was my friend and he said come and they put me onto that front platform the stage there and there were the mayor and Dr Butelezi was there. And, we're, and then I, I was standing, I was feeling embarrassed that thousands of people there and I don't know who this person is. So there was an elder of the church sitting next to me and I said, who is this man? And he said, you know, he looked shocked and horrified. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm not particular, I don't know, I'm a, I'm a Hindu, I don't even hardly know about Hinduism, you know. Uh, but he said, and he gave me the story about the, what a way he heals sickness and how he's got millions. He, he's got millions of followers. He, he has a record following and he goes there with 200,000 people full stadium. And I said, oh, well, that's good. Anyway, I, I got to leave early now. You've put me onto the stage. Don't, why don't I go and sit somewhere there and I could escape? And he said, no, 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 the pastor will get very cross. You know, he invited a special guest. And I sit there. And Pastor Benny Hines, Hines comes up the stage and he looks at the audience and he actually lifts his hands up at me. And I obviously wave back and this guy says, hey, this man, the, the pastor, you know, Benny knows you. And I said, no, I've never seen him. I said, maybe he's mistaken. I said, all the Indians look alike. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what he thought. He must have seen some Indian somewhere. So... No, he goes and he does this miracle healing. You know, I watch it. People go on to, I mean, he does the prayer. You know, I believe it's important. I believe in faith. I believe in God, which is mm-hmm. very important. And and he goes on. And then it comes towards the end. And, you know, uh, he turns to the stage and he says, I, I want to invite some of you for healing. And, you know, and he calls me. He actually points out to me there were three of us. And I walked up to the stage, and the next moment, I saw the most beautiful feeling. I felt, I've never felt peace like this ever. I saw this beautiful white light. I wasn't so much of peace, I just couldn't believe it. And it was so, the most peaceful moment of my entire life. And I don't know for how long it is, but next thing, you know, someone like shakes my shoulder, and I open my eyes, I'm flat, and I'm lying on the floor. I'm lying on the floor, I'm absolutely fascinated. And by the time, this is the first time I was saying the story on air. And I I, I sort of got up and very embarrassed. Now, you know, I mean, I was on the floor and I thought, would I hurt myself? And then they helped me up uh, and I go back to my chair and, uh, and I tell the 
part. And I said, I've had an amazing moment. And they told me, you know, the person did pay and you just collapsed. Wow. And I'm a Hindu and this is a Christian. But, and so I wanted to meet him. And I, I was told he doesn't meet people. He just doesn't meet people. And I said, look, ask, I want, I want to explain this. I mean, what has happened? I need an explanation because I'm not someone that particularly goes to the temple every, you know, mm, I'm, just, mm, mm. I'm just aware of God. I do good things. I believe by serving humanity, I serve God. Mm, mm. Uh, and I get a call that evening, uh, the next day evening at about 7 p.m. from the Reverend Emmanuel. And he tells me, he says, you know what? Pastor Benny Hines has agreed to meet you. I said, what? People told me. And they said, but you only got five minutes. I said, I will be there. The meeting was for 9.30 p.m. at the Hilton Hotel, at the penthouse, at the President's Street. I was there half an hour earlier. I said, this is, I don't want to. I, I have took to my know son with on. me. I want to know. I took my son with me. And Benny Hines comes there. I'm already nice to me. And then we sit. And then he said, let's have dinner. But I said, didn't you have any? He says, no, they arranged dinner. But I thought it was important to meet you. And I started off. And by the way, before that, his aides came and warned me, that this is it. You only have this time. And, you know, make sure, yeah. keep it quick. And don't, you know. But we ended up talking. And I started talking, explaining to him what happened. You know, and I said, this is what I did. I saw this. And you know what? Before I did, he says, I'm sure my age said, I do not have private interviews. He says, I travel the world and I get so drained after this thing, I actually come in and I go to bed. And he says, the reason I wanted to meet you, he says, when I saw you on that stage, he said, I saw a halo above you. I said, what? And he says, everyone I spoke to when you asked for an appointment spoke so highly about how you serve humanity, the wow. good you do, the jobs you create. He says, wow. every, and they told me, you're a Hindu, but you build churches, you, you support, you gave land free. And then I said, I've got to meet you. I've got to find out from you what makes a Hindu person support. And then I told him, I also support the Muslim community. And yeah. he says, and then he went on. And I asked him about this experience. And we spoke and spoke. And he said, you're absolutely unique. He said, you had an experience with the Holy Ghost. You have come with the Holy Spirit. He says, it's because as a human being, you do so much of good. And that is what you did. It's a very rare experience. We ended up talking to 2 a.m. in the morning. Wow. We talked about life. We became friends and, wow. uh, you know, he invited me to Jerusalem and, you know. But this is what life's all about. You don't have to be a Christian or Hindu or Jesus. And he told me something, which was quite, I still, he said, you know, there's only one heaven. There's no heavens for Jews, Hindus, Muslim, uh, Buddhists or anything. And there's only one God, really. There's not all this many gods, irrespective of whether you worship uh, Lord Ganesha or Jesus Christ or Allah. At the end of the day, what's it all about as humanity? We must be good. If be a good person. Person. That is what religion is all about. Yeah. Is serving yeah. humanity, being good, being kind, random act of kindness. We all, we all can have godly feet. We just got to be kind and nice as human beings. We got exactly. to be able to live every day to the fullest we got to be doing good we're going to get tense it's normal mm. everyone mm. but at the end of the day if you look at people you show love with people yep. you you treat people with kindness with humility 
And that is why one admire you know, I'm married to Sarisha Nadish. And she's one of the most kindest person. In fact, I sometimes believe she's kind to a fault, over generous. You know, wherever we go, the waiters are over tipped, the car guards, the thing. Mm. But I've noticed besides that, the people always love. And once I asked, I said, you know, even when you go to restaurants, you tip 30%, 20%. And she said, you know, we must always realize as people that have got a bit of money, that extra tip makes so much difference to that waiter. That He's any, you always got to do mm-hmm. that. And he, I actually started doing the same. She told me, I used to tell her, geez, you know what? The bill's only 100 rands. You're giving them a 75 tip, you know, yep. things like that. Yep. And she told me that if you make people happy, it's a blessing to you. And that's what it is. You look after car, the way you greet people, you wave to people. If someone, I mean, we always get stopped because of uh, you know us being public, well known and she would be real. We always get stopped for photographs mm-hmm. and people want to pose. We never ever say no. No matter how busy, I could be rushing at the airport mm-hmm. and people stops because I just want to make people to know I had time to stop to take that photograph with them. And that's what life's all about, is thinking about the feelings of others first before Absolutely. others. Absolutely. And Vivian, isn't that what money is about at the end Absolutely. of the day? Money is a vehicle yes. to deliver happiness. Yes. Money is a vehicle to provide a better life. Money is not about just a better car. It's not just yeah. about a better house. It's yeah. about creating a space for people to be safe, a place for people to be happy. You know, we have a rule in our family. We have lots of children and we're raising them differently. As you know, my wife is Indian and uh, we refuse to answer the race question. When banks put a form in front of us and they say, what nationality, what what color are you? What race do you belong to? We put human race because we believe there is only one race, the human race. Absolutely. And so this is what we're trying to teach our children. And we are teaching them the same value system with money. Money is a vehicle. It is a resource. If you value yourself according to money, this is going to be a very empty life. And this is why there's a difference between being rich and a difference between being wealthy. I know a lot of people who don't have a lot of money, but they're very wealthy because the value system is right. And I think this is something that South Africans need to hear. Everybody wants the fancy car. Everybody wants the fancy house. Everybody wants to be on TV. Everybody wants to be the celebrity. But actually, what people truly want, the real thing they want is they want a meal, they want a safe place to live, and they want their kids to be happy. Absolutely right. And I think if you could use your money and to all the people with money, the wealth there, use your money to make other people happy. It becomes Mm. a blessing. I have a friend and I want to finish off with this last story. His name is Indra Swami. He is a monk, a Buddhist from the United States. He was a very wealthy businessman. Hmm. And uh, he gave up everything. He sold his Bentley. And I remember, you know, Robin Sharma wrote a book about the monk who sold his Ferrari. Yes. Read it. Anyone who does it, it changes your life. Okay. And he gave up his worldly wealth. He became a, a monk. He went to um, India. Yep. And when I had my 60th birthday and I had this 10,000 children and baked that cake, with, which was sliced, it was his idea. Okay. about having this major cake and you know in the cake we had a token and the child that uh, found the token which happened to be a crippled child and we adopted the child up to today and there's a lady but what Swami had told me he told me about, you know I used to love sitting with him and in fact for every one of the, your listeners here there's a film called The Life of Pi 
It is one of the most amazing films I saw. And I took people of different religion. I took a head of a, a, a temple. In fact, I'll even name them. You know, I, I took um, A.V. Mahmoud from the chairman of the Great Street Mosque. I took Ashwin Tripkanji, the president of the Hindu Mahasabha. I, I took the Indra Swami and I took other Christian religious leaders, about 10 of us. I took them to the movie so that I could have a debate. Because that <laughs> movie was an amazing movie about religious tolerance and yes. it teaches life lessons. Yes. But coming back to this, you know, uh, about Swami, and he, I feel so much of peace around him because mm -hmm. someone that gave up everything and he goes around the world uplifting others. He travels around the world. His only possessions are his loin clock. And he told me how once he was going up the Himalayas in the midst of winter. Mm -hmm. And he was all warmly dressed. He had his uh, boots on. Mm -hmm. And he stopped to talk to one of the monks that lives in the mountain. Mm -hmm. And they're having a big conversation. Mm -hmm. And this person, he realized the monk only had his orange shawl on. And he was barefoot. But the snow beyond, below his feet was melting. And he told me something. He said, that is what, if you can control your mind, you can control everything about your life. And that's what the monks Isn't are trained to do. They control mind over matter. That's what yoga does. And that's what they practice. Yep. So it's all about the body. And that is what I want to leave your listeners with this. You know, going back to what my lessons in life were, you know, astronaut Neil Armstrong told me, if you can dream it, you can achieve it. Perseverance prevails when all else fails and never ever give up. And also very important is can I? Constant and never-ending improvement. And most importantly, learn to control your mind. Learn to control your emotions. You can control your money. And if we get up every morning with a positive mindset, we decide how, what we do. We, we, it's our own mind that controls every one yeah. of our actions. We are in control of our life. Yeah. If you can control your action and control your life and Try random acts of kindness to make people happy because happiness is very important. You've got to also learn a living. You've got to work hard. You've got to work smart. You've got to work honestly. You've got to make sure that whatever you do in life is all about integrity. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, if even if you don't have money, try to uplift someone else's spirit mm -hmm. and you will be a better human being. You'll have a great sleep at life and people will respect you for not the money you have or what you have is for the way you treat others. And that's with kindness and humanity and love. I couldn't agree with you more. Vivian, thank you so much. And I want to tell you, from a KZN businessman, mm -hmm. I am so proud to have you here because KZN is, it sometimes gets a bad rep. And uh, we have some incredible business people in this province. Yeah. We have some of the most creative minds in the province yeah. uh, that I think have yet to come forward in this country and really produce. And I think there's a lot of great things ahead for this province, but I think for the country too. Thank and you. I think you are an inspiration to young people. You're an inspiration to older people. And really, I just want to thank you for your service. I want to thank you for your humility. Most of all, I want to thank you for your time on the podcast. I really and truly appreciate it. It's been absolutely great. And I want to leave uh, all your listeners with a last thought. People tell me, how, do you, how daring are you to go and build a big 36,000 square meter mall next to Giant Gateway and, 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 and you've got Lalusha Mall? Our mall is very different. We've got all these international brands. We've yep. got great food. And, and the idea in life, you must never, ever be afraid of competition. 
Do yeah. not think about others. Think about what you could do better. And yes. I just wish all your listeners a life of bliss and happiness and wish you all well. And most importantly, your family and your health is most important. And you are the most important person in your life. You are the architect of your future. Go out and design a life that you are going to be happy with. And God bless all of you. Thank you, Vivian. Thank you so much. You've been listening to The Money Podcast. To get access to our future episodes, please subscribe to our podcast via your podcast app. And be sure to check out our YouTube channel, Global Money Academy.